eyes glisten A beautiful sight All the happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland Gone away Is a bluebird here to stay Is a new bird He's singing a song As we go along Walking in a winter wonderland Well in the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he is positive brown. He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no, man. But you can do the job when you're in town. A little Christmas music today to start off the first end of a doubleheader Tuesday with Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by our host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. It's episode 381, and this is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Just want to thank a couple people before we bring Sal on. we got a loaded show for you today. Uh, as I said, first end of a doubleheader. The back end is uh, the reemergence of She Gone Podcast with Jeff Fry. So we'll have him back today. Uh, but thanking our closing in on 60,000 subscribers. We should get there by Christmas Day. So we play a little Christmas music to encourage you along. That'll be our stocking stuffer. But I want to thank you guys for your support. You know what to do. Five stars, write comments, good comments, and help us battle those podcast world analytics. Blackout Coffee, Be Awake, Not Woke. Coffee's on Coach Sal this month. Sal, you remember your is – it, is it capital Sal M? Yes. 20? So 20, capital, yes, sir. Capital S-A-L-M as in Michael or Marinello Sal M20. Um, that'll get you 20% off your coffee purchase at checkout. And uh, we have a link out there. All you got to do is click on it. Sal's code will be right in the checkout. Uh, don't, don't fall for any of those 10% offs around the way. Go right to checkout and get your 20 from Sal. Coffee's on him. And uh, a little support of Ted Kubiak here, our very first guest on the network, one of our uh, most loyal listeners, old school, tremendous book for your baseball lover, great stocking stuffer, and how to field a ground ball, his fielding manual, one of the most comprehensive approaches to fielding a ground ball out there. Uh, With that, Sal, welcome back to your show. Dave, great to be here. You know, we talked about, um, we've been talking about how foods get a bad rap and and, and, uh, there's this Un, uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Or irresistible force of misinformation that that's applied to certain foods, and obviously we've focused on red meat, but coffee and caffeine is another one of those that, depending on the mood of the powers that be that decide to report on nutrition issues, coffee and caffeine is picked on a lot as being not good for you, being bad for you, and. I think, again, that's another one of those nonsensical pursuits to, just to demonize. Sometimes I think these people want to demonize just because that's all they do. That's all they know how to do. Let's find something that people enjoy and tell people that it sucks and it's bad for you. And we're now at the point where the problem with it, Dave, is you know it was laughable for a while. Now we're at the point where it's starting to infringe upon our rights and our ability to feed ourselves. So... Uh, I think in once uh, at one point we could laugh at it, and at another point we have to kind of call it out and and draw people's attention to it. Yeah, well, the, it's it's interesting that they you know they'll randomly attack certain things that benefit the attacker's uh, pocketbook, let's just say. But uh, the hypocrisy they just want to put it right in front of our face. You know, we we you and I were joking about the the UN on climate change and they're complaining about, you know, cows emissions and whatnot. And, and, uh, what are they having for lunch? 
Well, we we have two two kind of things, but yeah, when when you look at the menu that was being served at this climate summit, and and forget forgetting for a moment the hypocrisy is too mild of a term. What the these people did and the footprints these people have, if you believe in such a thing, based on their travel mode or mode of travel, I should say, with these private planes. Forget forget the ludicrous nature of that if you can, but the, you know one person taking a private plane to something like that, Dave, is something like ten times greater than the average person's carbon footprint. So let let's just put that out there for a minute. But what's even better, the food that was served at this climate summit, and this is is quoting from an article that uh, according to the summit's own online portico- portal. Its food offering include juicy beef, slabs of succulent meat, smoked Wagyu burgers. I don't know how to pronounce that. I never had it. Philly cheesesteaks, melt-in-your-mouth barbecue, in addition to African street barbecue, fast, casual Mexican fare, and Asian option that has a touch of French flair. So I, I just think on one hand, they're telling us to eat bugs and cut our meat consumption. And at the other hand, they're serving the... Meet, they're having a meat fest at this climate conference. Yeah, I thought that was it was big juicy burgers I saw them serving. But um, it's good that we have people, and that's that's why we started this network as it pertains to baseball. And we obviously cover life because um, baseball is so interconnected with life, your show specifically. But if we don't have uh, groups like us, alternative media, let's call us for lack of a better thing, where we're going to call people out and just put it right in front of their face. I think that's that that's what led us to this point where our media and whatnot just they were part of the problem, part of the engine feeding propaganda out there. So we need to keep bringing stuff like that. If, it, if it's annoying to people, then fast forward. But uh, I'm thinking people that tune in us like our approach. So, well, um, there's something important, Dave, that, you know, sometimes you think uh, sometimes I think that we're going overboard too much about. Talking about these subjects, but what what's happened is people for years now, people have accepted certain things being done to the to the freedom to choose for whether it's food or how you treat yourself or how you uh, decide your medical care. And I, I, I feel there's there's been this, well, it hasn't affected me yet, so I don't care. But what happens is those little erosions or that that casual, constant minor erosion of those rights and abilities to do what you want to do result in where we are today. And because when you look at this nonsensical statement that's included in this press release or in this article that, that kind of sums up why we have to talk about it and we can go into it. But it says the U.N. has for years called for individuals to ditch animal based diets, which it says have a high impact on our planet. That, that is just such bullshit to call, you know, use an adult term. I don't think we have many kids listening and the kids that we have listening probably hear that much worse in their daily uh, Internet use. So it's bullshit. And the term greenhouse gas, it's such a it's such a bogus term. If you read the counter and hear the things that are being said by those Nobel Prize winners and scientists that counter the narrative of this global warming, climate change, man-made global warming, climate change nonsense, you have to you have to now start to educate yourself because what they're doing is they're using that myth of man-made warming to, or man-made climate change, because they have to adjust it 
to fit their uh, their narrative because the narrative constantly changes that you have to educate yourself as to this because it's now starting to affect what you're it could affect what you get in the supermarket, what you're allowed to eat, never mind what you even can get, but what you will be allowed to eat. So that's why people need to kind of do their own research at this point and and look at both sides. And you realize the nonsensical nature of the comment that green, that a, there are these greenhouse gases, which are causing global climate change and B that animal based diets are the root cause of this. It's just such garbage that it has to be called out and repeatedly called out. Yeah. Well, you, you sent me two articles that are divergent and my, my children helped me make my show notes up for the shows. Um, Tanner's usually the headmaster in this. So I have to laugh at this one. He sent an article on Bill Gates and he put Tanner put dating app for the cows. Anybody that knows Tanner, he does the sauce for us dating app for cows, Bill Gates, uh, where he's trying to control the reproduction of, cows in the world. But at the same time, groups in and around him are trying to ramp up meat production in poor countries. So I don't, I, you know, that it's the hypocrisy. And I, I know there's a stronger word, but it's just right in our faces at all times regarding this. So, well, and, and here we have a great example of, uh, of American stupidity. We're, we're, we're constantly the focus of these efforts because the, in my opinion, the world is jealous of us and wants to control us. And there's people, even people within our borders and within our government who don't feel or don't act in our best interests. And when you look at these, quote, UN efforts, it's all aimed at us. Europe doesn't pay attention. Italy has outlawed the use of these fake meats, and they totally ignore anything the UN says. We just have dummies here who follow what the UN says or think we should follow what the UN says. The same thing goes with the nonsensical climate accord, which they've on and off tried to follow. We could follow that and, 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 and eliminate, quote, all our greenhouse gas emissions and our coal fire plant, which is the other nonsensical thing they want to do here. And the rest of the world is still going to pump out what they're pumping out. Israel, uh, uh, India and China alone are... Look at the number of, of plants they're producing and creating every every week, every month, every year. So we're the we're the brunt of this attack, and we just have to learn to ignore the UN. And when they come out with something that actually is quote useful, like this call to have more meat available for the developed nations, because that's where they realize all the nu- the, the nutrition's coming from. They just can't even ignore the the reality anymore. So, okay, so we can have nutritious food for now the underdeveloped nations, but we're going to have to go and eat bugs. Well, no, we're we're not. And and you know what? In some cultures, in some of these primitive cultures in these third world, they eat bugs. They eat stuff off the land, but they don't have enough of the real food that you need that makes the backbone of any diet, which is meat. And we touched upon it last week about the the true nature of Gates. He's never done anything to improve sanitary conditions, clean water, and in this case, more more nutritious food. All he's done is try to sell his vaccines and push his vaccine on those populations. Yeah. I had uh, an interesting quote sent to me. I'm going to give Will's wife credit for this, Stella. And we're going to start utilizing Stella in our... um, when we have uh, Coach and Kernan, we're going to have a little bit of what, what Stella said. She, her and I exchange a ton of stuff on social media. And it had to do with the 
with our medical community. You know, our medical community, obviously, it's not a wellness business. It's a sick business. They don't make money unless there's unless we're sick. Um, so her quote was, and I think she got it from somebody. So I, she uh, tell me again how you think an industry that makes its money off sick people is going to give you a free shot to make you super healthy. So, um, so that, I thought that was uh, simple and profound. And if people, whatever side they're on in this stuff, and you know, when you look at our healthcare industry here, just as you said, that's what made me think about it. Was that why on earth do we possibly think our medical world is going to give us something for free when they make more money off of us and we go in and we got 18 different ailments and need all these different pharmaceuticals as opposed to going in and be like, hey, you're in great health. Uh, come back next year. Well, and we know, we know, and again, we, this is again beating the drum, beating a dead horse. We know that to, and t- type 2 diabetes is one of the biggest threats we have to our population. We know that diet solves that problem. And yet we're still, we have people in the medical profession who are willing to allow that to be called a disease. And then also willingly allow medications to be prescribed to people to fix, nominally fix markers, which at the same time doesn't fix any of the root issues. You're never, again, it's addressing the symptom instead of the root cause. And we will never get a grip on this. I don't care what drugs they come out with. And as a matter of fact, there was some research that's come out that has shown that what these drugs do is they are indiscriminate in the kind of weight you lose. So, And what I mean by that is they found that, a, that people lose a high percentage of lean muscle mass, of lean mass, which is muscle mass, in these by using these drugs. So you're losing weight, but you're losing weight from the tissue or of the, of the kind that you need to be not just survive, but thrive that most of the weight that your people are losing, that these people are losing by using these drugs is not body fat or visceral fat. It is a lot of lean weight, a lot of muscle weight. So what that serves to accomplish is you're going to be less healthy and less capable. And again, there's a great example of the addressing the symptom and the scale is, in my opinion, a symptom versus body composition that you're addressing a symptom and you're not making it better. You're actually making people worse. To the tune of spending, I think you, you quoted me, $719 billion on cardio diabetes. Yeah, there. that was that one post we shared that there's you could you could probably tie in almost every major dysfunction uh, that we're dying from and that's shortening our lives here. And that we're spending billions of dollars on to this eating garbage. And and so there's another, you know, there's this concept here that this is some kind of a plan uh, or what the motives are of, quote, the powers that be. And this is not some far off conspiracy theory. What we know is the big investment firms, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, and a few others own both all the big food companies, big food producers, and the drug companies. So what happens is on one hand, we're sold garbage food, garbage advice, given garbage advice, which requires people to then go on medications that supposedly fix the problems created by this bad food. And we have this synergistic, synergistic relationship, symbiotic relationship between food producers and the pharma industry that are owned by the same companies. Now, I don't really care if their plan is to get us sick so we need the medication, 
or if that's just the reality of how the businesses work, it doesn't matter. The end result is the same. We're sicker and we're less capable and we're less healthy. And it's because we're being fed stuff that's being sold to us by the same people that are there supposedly to, quote, make us better. So at the end of the day, who cares if it's their motive to make us sick or if that's just the we, the reality of how the business is working? That's all I care about is the end result. Yeah. And then as, as kind of we quoted earlier, we've got to realize that these industries are just that. They're designed to generate profit for whoever's presenting the information for the most part. Very few altruistic people out there. You did, you, uh, I, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank and I'll remember before the show's over, but you had, you mentioned a, a guy last week that you follow. And I just heard um, an interview with him on the Dan Bongino show this past Sunday. And I'll remember the name. I'll pull it up. But he talked about, um, you were mentioning fat. And he talked about how taking cold showers, 60 seconds to 180 seconds, uh, haven't done it since I was at West Point, but that's because it was mandatory. Um, but the, uh, it helping out with brown fat. Do you know anything about brown fat? Do you know what he's talking about there? Yeah. So I, I'm trying to think of um, who you had, who it was. Was it Gary Braca? Braca. That's it. So, yeah. So he's been this. And that was, again, that goes out to uh, uh, the listener, who Depop, who sent us that uh, heads up. Um, but that's one of his discussions of what the the cold and the cold the cold immersion does and um it 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 activates this process so what what really what happens is brown fat breaks down your blood sugar um and and the fat molecules to create heat and help maintain body temperature so cold temperatures activate this brown fat to gives you to give you this metabolic change which results in you storing uh, I'm sorry, burning stored fat. So, um, and and that's one of the key things that this cold immersion does, which is very difficult to do. I don't care what anybody says, even the cold shower. I'm not, I'm not really tough enough to do that at this point. I'm trying, but it's very difficult to do. After listening to him on the show, I was, okay, I added it to my, on paper anyway, my AM routine, my morning routine. And as I thought about it last night, it was, it got colder out here in Myrtle. And I was like, hell no, <laughs> yeah. I have no problem getting my, myself rolling. And my, uh, I'm not, uh, at least I don't have any visual fat that you can see in that regard. So I was like, I'm gonna hold off on that, that stuff for a while and let others celebrate. I see it a lot. And, and this is what to kind of turned me off a little bit of it. All these, uh, guru coaches out there, these life coaches, these, I see him doing all these things with businesses. And it, to me, those things are hacks. And they uh, they go in, they they say 10 fancy words. They get them all these phrases, slogans, or jumping up and down, dancing, um, making a better life. And then they end it with like a, two hours of like everybody getting in their, their bathing suit, doing in a, a cold bath. And I'm just like, that that turned it off for me because I was just like, ah, if they're doing it that, it's probably not for me. But I, I've got to try to separate it because it's probably probably not a bad thing to do. I just haven't looked into it enough. Well, and, you know, one of the uh, over the many years of being in this business, uh, I've dealt with all kinds of interventions on exercise and nutrition. And way back, there was a diet program, a menu program. We had an eating program. I don't want to call it a diet that basically focused on 
issues related to this brown fat. And I remembered that brown fat is something that, uh, that you have more of when you're younger, which I, I had it explained to me and it stuck with me that brown fat um, uh, burns calories to help keep you warm. That's why when you see kids like can run around outside without a coat on, they have this higher, they have babies and kids have these higher level of brown fat. And then as you get older, it decreases. And and that's why as you get older, the cold bothers you more. It, it just happens as a natural part of, of, uh, of aging. And um, everybody has that brown fat. And uh, there's some discussion about being able to develop this brown fat, but um, it, 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 it's one of those things. I think that if you're not doing things to get that cycle of using the brown fat properly to help do what you need to do to help your metabolism, you must, you must, you might lose it. So that's, that's an area where I'm, I'm not a hundred percent versed in, but I know that's kind of the mechanism by which it works and the importance of what, what the importance of it is. Yeah. He, uh, and then the, where I had heard him this weekend, I was just popped up the Dan Bongino Sunday shorts, he calls it. And he pulled it from, he's doing a long form with, with Brock, uh, I think a two and a half hour interview. Wow. And I, I believe it's this Thursday or Friday. And we don't get anything by plugging the show or whatnot. Um, but uh, I'm going to try to at least save it and listen to it maybe this weekend when I've got more time. Uh, obviously, Depop, uh he uh, he got us interested in it, and you you pushed it on the show last week. And I had heard him before. I just never locked in. And when when I heard it by accident this week, and I said, "Ooh, that's uh, he's saying a lot of the things that that we believe." And so um, I'm always I always want to listen to the, those type of people, but with a critical eye. The there's, the cold shower thing was I've never tried, like you said. I, never, I haven't tried it since West Point. Um, it was still cold then, but uh, I that's why I moved south. I. I don't see how the cold invigorates me at all. It makes me, it makes me kind of uh, move slower and uh, and think slower and everything. So I, I prefer the warm. I'll take a yeah. So anyway, if anybody's uh, listens to Bongino, he'll have he'll have uh, he'll have him on long form. I think Thursday is what I heard. So I mean, um, and and you know, going back to the concept of brown fat, I think just like anything else, if you look at at some of the the minimal research I've looked at about it, it's basically one of those another one of those uh, 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 obviously ex- aside from doing specific things that may or may not activate like this cold exposure. Uh, I think if you eat well, if you're uh, active, if you sleep properly, if you eat a good diet and don't starve yourself, uh, there are ways that that just maintains that as much brown fat as you can have. Uh, again, it would be interesting to look into if it's a, it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to lose it. And again, I think this is one of those areas that the more we know and the more we can target some research about it, the, the better off we'll be. If we can find that there's ways to increase that brown fat or at least maintain most of your brown fat as you, as you age, then that could be a huge boost to helping people have a, a more active metabolism, a more efficient metabolism as they get older as well. Yeah. I, I had never heard of brown fat before um, until I listened to that this Sunday. So I was, uh, I jotted it down as a side note to bring it up to you either privately or publicly here on the podcast. I figured you would 
you would have more knowledge about it. But yeah, I mean, there's just there really isn't that much about it. That's why it's kind of one of those gray areas, or not even a gray area. It's a kind of I know just what I told you about that, and again, seeing it come into the forefront with the cold plunge becoming the vogue. But what I will caution people on is because there is so little known about it, don't go out and invest in any kinds of supplements that you're going to guaranteed as a cottage industry that grows off of some of this this information that we get that's interesting and has promise once research comes through. Don't go out and spend money on any supplements or other things that are, are advertised to improve or increase your brown fat levels. Because from what I understand, they're, they're, we don't know enough yet. And there really hasn't been enough uh, research done. So don't go out and start spending on this stuff. No, I think it's always good advice we give our audience. Do your own research. Um, you know, we were talking about Americans kind of falling into that trap and people more or less wanted to see us go down. So they immerse us with all these, I don't know, things things like we're talking about here where it forces us to, to buy the latest uh, drug to, to, to try this quick fix th- uh, thing. but. Canada, I laughed when you sent it to me about uh, Canadians being convinced to drink, was it motor oil? Well, it wasn't, but it was, it was a engine engine lubricant. Yeah, it was a critical view uh, and kind of a, um, not a joke, but they were uh, applying this, um, uh, what we've talked about, they talked about what, uh, what canola, what canola, canola oil is, it was originally used as a lubricant. I mean, that's where a lot of the soy, soy was not used to eat. Uh, It was used as in in industrial applications. So these seed oils and some of these other canola and canola oil is stuff that really is an engine lubricant. And that's what that post was. It's if you're using canola oil and certain margarines in expen- in in replacing of regular olive oil and fat and lard and butter and and some of the other natural fats you're making yourself sick and again it's not causation correlation doesn't equal causation but it's just another check in the column of all the things we've been told have been healthy and the increased usage of it has mirrored our decrease in health and our increase in obesity yeah, and it's, and again, we're going to keep bringing it up to people. I think it's important to do, you know, on, a, on one of those other side notes, like for instance, when we were kids, you know, Coca-Cola, Pepsi drank my sixth grade teacher, Bob Goodwin, I remember he always had my ear. He played basketball at George Washington University, uh, was, was uh, very into the athletes. And he, he I remember him telling me, um, you know, that, that Coca-Cola you're about to drink right there. We used to clean our deck, sh- or the ship of our deck with that or, um, when I was in the Navy. So he, when he was in the Navy, he said they'd use that to, to get the grime off the deck. He goes, that's what's doing it to your teeth and, uh, stop drinking it right there. <laughs> but, yeah, there was, uh, I remember a kid with you, know, the, the experiment was when you had lost a tooth, put it in a, in a glass of cola and see how long it, uh, how long that tooth lasts. Yeah. I was afraid to do that. I didn't want to see, I took his word for it well, with that. Well, we, uh, you know, we, we've, we've run gamut with, uh, with a lot of the nutrition stuff you, and if you want to get into this, we can now there, there's a new way for people to reach you regarding this other than once a week on the show. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to actually to, uh, 
get mine going as well. I haven't yet. I've got to wait till I want to wait till we're going to do this week a podcast next week and then a couple weeks off for our audience to know. Um, and then I'm going to re up all my social media stuff. I've been ramping it up lately with our one-on-one recruiting, uh, where we, we just eclipsed $600 million in scholarships, uh, this past signing period going through the transfer portal. Now I can share some crazy stories there, but, uh, you, you introduced me to this, which you do a lot of stuff, uh, Call is it Minect? Minect, yeah, Minect. It's like connect with. Ah, I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Syllable, yes, you did. <laughs> and so it was. It came about. Um, I found out about it. Listened to another one of my podcasts, and they were talking about different ways in which people can do business. And uh, what it does is it allows you to go in and find experts in whatever your field of interest is, or to become an expert and either contact those people and for a fee, they will work with you, give you answers. And it goes from text message to video call to video, uh, just a video without being a two-way thing, without a communicate, without a communicative aspect. It's just like I could make a video and send someone based on their needs. And it allows you to charge fees for services. That kind of is otherwise difficult to do. So it's a platform that allows you to both be an expert and to be in contact with experts. And I've signed up if you want to get in touch with me. You can uh, search under Sal Marinello, my full name, and it'll just give you my parameters and my availability. And we could answer any questions you have or whether it's setting up on a program or uh, other issues involved with nutrition or performance. And, and it's just a way to get out there. And I'm never going to have a website and I'm never going to have a social media presence on Instagram and, and the other more popular social media platforms because I'm not interested in that because it's all a cesspool of garbage and and no one wants to learn. People just want to regurgitate the same crap that's been in the field forever. I figured using this pl- um, platform of the podcast, where I know we have a, a bunch of interested ears and hopefully when we get some video going, interested eyeballs that can reach out. And it, it, that's the way I'm going to try to, to handle getting to a broader base audience. Yeah. No, you, you've encouraged me to look into it. And I've actually, I, I was off of social media up until, I don't know, I guess 11 months ago, I started last Jan- this past January, you know, and there's, there's good and bad with it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's an engine that never stops and, you know, you've got to have a great filter uh, or be willing to concentrate enough to, to filter through a lot of garbage to make it work. And I often wonder if it's worth it, but with our podcast, it has been, cause I've, I've kept blinders on, we're up to close to 60,000 now. And, um, with our recruiting work, no, no recruiting happens on social media. Um, but the families enjoy it. Um, it's a way to celebrate their kids. Uh, it's a way to get, you know, the people that are, you know, into it. So we, we do it because it's, it, you know, it's okay to love your kid. It's okay to, so we, we started, I started doing that more heavily the last, really the last, uh, month. Uh, my wife was really good at it prior to that, but I've kind of ramped it up, uh, times 10 and it's actually, it's actually going well. We've, we've got a couple of calls from kids from faraway land saying, I, I saw where you're helping so-and-so. Can you help me? And uh, we don't really work that way, but um, it's interesting how the, it's it's got a crazy reach uh, where I 
I uh, I can't imagine calling a stranger from abroad when I was 16 years old. Right, but the world's anything. a different place. The world's yeah. smaller, and these kids do this. And in my the way I look at it, Dave, we're, I'm never going to compete because I'm not interested in competing with the people that are the considered so-called experts on social media because they just aren't. And we could go back and forth, and and the person's following doesn't make them any more of an expert than the no. lack of the following makes them not an expert. But I have a, I have a great example. I have a, a girl who I'm working with who's going to go to college and play Division One lacrosse next year and trying to work on her running mechanics. And it's a, a tough job because there's a lot of problems there. And just not to get too off the path, but the problem with, with young women, Dave, is that when they're in high school, it, there's a certain amount of work you're doing. There's a volume of work you're doing that's manageable. And even with that, these young girls, these young women have a higher than male incident of injuries. And a lot of it's because of mechanics. But what's making it worse is they're going online and these fitness influencers, which is really the most ridiculous term or phrase I could think of as an influencer, are putting out these training ideas that are to develop certain body parts. And we've talked about this a little bit, most specifically your glutes. And I've told people that that what you see on social media, doesn't develop your glutes. It's just nonsense. And it's all, again, it's an illustration of the gullibility of the population that they'll fall for this. But so I have someone who's training for performance and they're wants to train for, for performance and they're following this know nothing on social media and they can't accelerate, they can't shuffle, they can't decelerate. That's a recipe for disaster, Dave. And if you're going to get through your high school days with that because of your natural ability and resiliency, you're going to fall apart when you get to college because the, the exponential increase in, in hard work and in the volume of the work you do when you get to college will ruin these young athletes in very short order. So it, it, it's just it, it's just very frustrating, but at the same time, it gives us an opportunity to connect with the people. I, I, like I said, I've never been interested in trying to uh, uh, appeal to the masses because I don't think my message is going to really appeal to everybody because my way is a hard work way and not to be um, not to be patting myself on the back. But what you see in social media, that's not hard work. Getting into a Smith machine and doing a hip thruster is not hard work. Doing these nonsensical variations of exercises to build your glutes is not hard work. So my goal is to get to the people who really want help, will listen, and will be able to understand the message that we're, that I'm trying to give and that we're trying to give. Yeah, the ones that have the followings, it's in every industry, but in yours particular you used the word influencer, people are, because they don't have the filter, they get these people will buy basically ads and they'll get the, the artificial intelligence to pop up X number of times per day based on the dollars they spend. And if just like the, the nutrition stuff you talked about earlier, if people don't have a filter and they prioritize influence over excellence, they're going to fall for it. And um, I'm the same. I think uh, that's why we get along. One of the reasons we get along is similar approach. I'd much prefer to be smaller and concentrated uh, with people who get it, or even some people that don't get it. I don't mind them because I can, I think once they see them side by side, they can tell the difference. 
Uh, but the ones that don't get that they don't get it, I ain't got time for that. Well, and I think that person that doesn't get it, but you deal with it, actually helps you to hone your message better because after a while, if everybody gets it, you kind of lose your edge. Whereas it's always good to get that that um, I don't want to say a naysayer, but maybe that that uh, uh, um, what's the, a reasonable skeptic, an intelligent skeptic is probably would be my favorite person to deal with because I have. You know, the new phrase I hear people use all the time is have the receipts. I have the receipts. I can show you both in average average athletes and high-level athletes an improvement in performance. And it goes everything from a, a, this, how you get better at the drill to how getting better at the, the drill helps improve your sprint to how improving your sprint helps you perform better. So that, like I said, that intelligent skeptic is my uh, is my favorite. There's There was an old... Uh, I don't know if you remember, Dave. Do you remember Cy Sims? Did you get those commercials when you were a kid? I don't think so. Uh, it was when uh, they, they were clothing. It was a big clothing outlet place. And his tagline were an educated consumer is our best customer because he wanted the pe- people to know what the competitors were doing and they would appreciate him more. And that's kind of like how I look at the uh, the intelligent skeptic or the educated skeptic. That's another good term. It would be my best because I want someone who questions things because I can tell you why I do things. You can't get those answers from people. You'll get, again, you try to go online and ask a question about a drill that's clearly incorrect. You'll get shouted down because, A, the person who put the put that video up has no idea what they're doing. And, B, all the people who follow have no idea what they're doing. So they'll just flock and follow you know, follow the lemmings off the cliff, so to yeah. speak. They're indoctrinated. They, they, um, I, I like the educated skeptic as well. I like that phrase. One of the, one of the pieces of advice I give, uh, our potential clients, I had a family from Egypt last night I was on the phone with, and another one from New Zealand, both basketball families. And, um, I had another one from Puerto Rico yesterday afternoon and all through this, the Puerto Rico uh, was baseball. It was a catcher actually. And I gave the same message at the end to all the families. It's like, I don't, I do not have a magic wand. I do not have a crystal ball. If you do what I ask you to do, when I ask you to do it, you'll get what you want or you'll be pretty darn close. I said, but what they, and all three wanted to jump on board last night, yesterday, want to come on board. I refused to let them because after talking to me for an hour about what I do, it, it sounds very surreal. It sounds very like, you know, let's go, let's go. I make them get off the phone without me involved. And I tell them, do me this favor, poke holes in it. I want you to think about how this can't work. Think about things that I said, or I take claim to that can't possibly be real. And then let's talk again tomorrow or the next day. And then if you, if there's questions I think you need to ask, I'm going to ask them for you. And uh, to me, those are more productive starts when we we have that. Um, The other, the other question I always ask them when we call, and I'm curious because I want to know, there's a million cookie cutter approaches out there to, to both, to what we both do. Um, and we both see holes in it. Me pointing them out doesn't help. Um, right. All it does is put them on the defensive. And so I always ask them, I said, there, with all the groups out there that are doing this, what drew you to me? Like why reach out to me? And, um, and to, when, when we get through that, to me, that helps me kind of sift through the, you know, where I need to, what I need to talk to them about, what they want to hear about. I used to do that in recruiting as a college coach as well. Big mistake I made early on sitting in the living room. Uh, 
first one I ever did. Went in, gave him everything. The 360, every, walked out of there feeling pumped up. We didn't get the kid. And as I evaluated what I did, um, they didn't want to hear about all that stuff. So the stuff they wanted to hear about got lost in it. It got diluted. So the next ones I did was a uh, similar type of rephrased question. And that's all we talked about. And my assistant coach would drive them crazy. Like, we didn't talk about this, this, there's, you know, 50 other points. So they didn't want to hear about that. All that was important was these two things, you know, and uh, we got, we had more success that way. We got those kids. So I've, I've adopted that to this. It helps me from kind of fighting windmills to use the Don Quixote um, expression and just, Hey, tell, tell me what about it. And then I always give them, you, you kind of brought this up. Uh, and the phrase I use is I give an accusation audit. And if our audience doesn't know what that is, watch uh, eight, the movie eight mile with Eminem at the end where he gets on stage and he says everything that the other guy's going to say bad uh, about him, but he says it about himself. They got nothing else to say. So I always do that. I do a little accusation. You're probably thinking, and then the phrase they usually say is that's right. If I get a, that's right, then I know they're locked in and it's a group that gets it. If I get, yeah, you're right. That's what my wife says to me. Who's today? It's her birthday today. People saw on Instagram. She did. She did have some sugary coffee treats this morning. We put pictures up. I, I told her you were going to be pissed about that. But uh, if I get a, yeah, you're right. That's what my wife says when she doesn't want to talk to me anymore. I go away thinking, yeah, I'm right. I'm right. And then I'm like, wait a minute. She don't agree with me. Um, so anyway, those are just some little little uh, conversation tidbits that I use with with that to help kind of get away from the influence towards them maybe recognizing excellence um, in a way. So, well, but, that's uh, a very hip reference there to, to pull up the M&M Eight Mile. Yeah, that's my generation. Eight, eight Mile, right? You want you've seen that, right? No, I I actually didn't. That, that's oh. kind of like uh, not my uh, wheelhouse. They well, it's uh, if you watch, if you skip through all the way to the end, and you'll get basically what happened in the movie through his last rap battle in the end, and uh, it takes about ninety seconds, and he uh, he says all the 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 things that. So the rap battles where they go back and forth and fight with words, just basically cutting on each other. And so he says all the things that they're going to say bad about him. Um, and then, you know, kind of cuts into them a little bit. So when the other guy gets the mic, he's got nothing to say. He took all of his stuff. And so I, I kind of do that a little bit with our, you know, when people I, I talk, well, you're probably thinking, you know, here, here's another basketball guy in America that, you know, he's got all the answers to recruiting. And, um, you know, it's, uh, there's never, not going to guarantee anything, uh, because of this. So it's, I kind of take them through and, and your educated consumer that you talked about, those are the ones that have given me those accusation audits. Cause it's what they're thinking. It's and and, um, if I'm incapable of taking my hat off and looking at it objectively as a dad or, you know, as a, you know, any other realm other than a, a coach, it helps me gain that perspective. And that's kind of why I brought it up. Cause it's, you brought up a very good point about the, the healthy skeptic. So that's kind of how I've utilized the healthy skeptic to bring it out right away. Well, them. and you know, one of the things I also, even when I set out to start my business, and it's been to my detriment, I'm sure, from a, a financial success standpoint, but I've never been interested in tire kickers. And by that, I, I don't want someone who's, you know, ah, you know what, I'm going to try personal training, which we called it at the time. I don't call it that anymore, but I, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't want the tire kicker because I don't want someone who's not going to be all in and wants to see if they like it. I want to have the person who has already spent some time and effort or maybe even 
knows they're in a position where they can't get they can't get better by themselves and they need to go in and kind of let me teach them how and th those are the people I want. So again, it's probably not a great business model, especially when you're talking about a small basis of operation as I have here, but I think what what now I'm getting to Dave after 35 years is the ability to reach people now with a bigger reach because of something like this podcast that in my town, if I had people who are interested, it's still a very small group. I mean, there's not as many people. There's probably a, a not even 20% of my local area is represented by your our listening audience. So if we could get 100 people that want to do what I do and learn about what I do, that's something I'd rather work towards at this point because now I can. I could look at them in the eye through my phone or my laptop or my iPad and hear what they have to say, which is as important as what I have to say, if if it, if not more important. So I'm excited to kind of start pushing that through this platform, because I think that's the way that the people out there, whether it's in New Zealand or in New Providence, New Providence is a town, a few towns over, they could get to me and we can work together without needing to be in the same room. Yeah, I think it's great. You you convinced me in about two seconds because I I I used to do LinkedIn, um, didn't really like it that much. Thought it got to be a little bit social media like and got away from the business. We do do Facebook and Instagram um, and a few other sites for for the kids we work with with recruiting. I don't use it to to get clients. All of our clients come word of mouth uh, from us. I do not have a website like you. I'm anti. So I was looking for something a way to get our message out, um, you know, to people who seek us out, but in a different way where it's maybe not me handling them for, you know, one, two, three, four years of recruiting all the way through college and into, you know, the next phase of their life. Maybe it's just a one hit, one hit shot, um, where we can hit a different audience who may have some of the answers, just needs one little, you know, nudge. So I like the idea. I'm, I'm going to sign up, uh, right before the, the week of Christmas. That's kind of my timetable to, Add, I've got four or five new things, Rumble being another one. And, um, you know, we've got I've got a few that, that I'll be doing for us. So, well, but, I would uh, look forward, you know, I think we've talked about this off air and would be interested in hearing if people would like that. But I, I would think of the visual, especially for some of the things we can do, I think would be a great opportunity. So, yeah, well, we've worked that out in the podcast. It's I'm going to tinker with it over the holiday. And probably when we get to the new year, we'll be um, visual on occasion as as it's needed by your podcast. We have a couple others that um, I know Jim Cott has talked about it as our, one of our newest podcasters with the arms race. Well, I need to introduce you to Jim Colonel. You guys will hit it off. Just great. Former Yankee farmhand. Uh, it's got a very interesting uh, uh, research database on pitching and uh, he's got some answers too to solve some problems. So you guys will be, uh, that's part of adding new people to our network, people that kind of mesh with what we have and will help us grow exponentially. But uh, you and I have talked, you've, you've expressed some issues with the lacrosse world, with some of the recruiting problems and with club sports and, and that. And it's, it's, it's the same across just a different ball. But um, you and I have talked where, um, you know, with the work we've done with one-on-one -on -one over the last four years with basketball, men's and women's, it's been the bulk. Uh, we do baseball as well, heavy. Softball, we just added a, actually a, a tremendous eighth grader, believe it or not, out of upstate New York, Schenectady, my hometown, a little lefty. Um, second baseman I already, you know, got three, four college visits coming up. So just in, in two weeks 
And then uh, we've done we've done football on occasion. Um, usually, I'll deal with former NFL players' children's or children or grandsons um, with the football because I know they get the the whole scheme of things. But uh, you've talked to me about lacrosse. I mean, you we've got we've you know not quite to an hour yet. But uh, did you want to start sharing some of the issues you're seeing in lacrosse and pump that a little bit? Well, yeah, I think it's interesting you bring up football because football still handled similarly to how it was, you know, a generation or two ago. The baseball, which I'm sure you see in basketball as lacrosse and soccer is now all, not all, but club has just such a astronomically higher uh, influence on both the sport and the parents and the kids and the colleges that it's become more confusing and more difficult for parents to work through things. And and what the club does is sometimes good. It's sometimes bad. Uh, I think the bigger picture and, and just uh, you've said it, but we're going to start to help those people who want to get help with the process of lacrosse, both boys and girls, males and females, and kind of guide them through. And uh, I think the overarching theme is that you've got to take control. You don't want to cede responsibility to the club or to to any coach. And you need to know what you want. And I see so much these kids who think they're going to play in college and they're good in seventh, eighth, ninth grade. But the reality is um, the competition is so high that if you're thinking you're going to go to one of the top 20, 30 schools, you're, it's a pipe dream. It's, it's actually probably more difficult, in my opinion, than football because there still are a lot of Division One college teams. There's not a lot of Division One lacrosse teams. And as the sport has exploded at the youth and the high school level, we haven't had a similar explosion at the college level. I believe... I'm, I'm, I'm probably off, but there's still probably under 85 Division I teams. And when you look at the fact that most of those teams are going to take eight to, I'm sorry, 10 to 12 kids a year, I mean, some may take a few more, some may take a few less, depending on the transfer portal, which is a new monkey wrench. You're talking about uh, a very small number of openings. So you're talking about. 800 or so to 960 kids that are going to go to these schools. And the the increase in places to go hasn't really shown as, and, and it's not in, in, in keeping with how many more kids there are playing at that level. So, and again, well, this is maybe getting a little too deep into it, but if you're out there and you're a lacrosse parent and you're a lacrosse kid, You've got to look at what you want to do with the sport. Are you using it to get into a school you might not otherwise get into? Are you going to play regardless? So if you could get into, um, I don't want to pick on any particular school, but let's just say, do you want to go to the University of Maryland and not worry about playing? Because chances are you're not going to play. Or do you want to possibly be able to get into that University of Maryland, but instead go to a small D2 or D3 school just so you could play. So there's a lot of different things you have to consider here. And and the big myth is that you get a lot of money from sports. One of the myth, one of the things I learned when I started recruiting, when I had my college jobs, was that kids who sit down at that table and sign that letter of intent, 
they could be getting as little as $1,000, and that kind of what allows them to have that NIL. So most of these schools, what they do is they can give these kids a thousand bucks because it's a great thing for their kid and it's a great um, it's a great PR thing for the school. But at the end of the day, what you see and hear kids are getting and what they actually are getting are probably almost at the opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, everybody's dipping into that NIL now. Um, but you know, we, you mentioned football. I had talked to because the portal's going crazy with football right now. And we're, we're involved with it. Uh, none of our kids are transferring, but because I at the center of a lot of phone calls, we've decided to get involved a little bit. Um, the kid that was quarterback and for Notre or for Duke just signed at Notre Dame. These kids are, I mean, they're getting three, four, five million bucks, um, high level quarterbacks. And there are now you talk about creating a problem. Forget about kids transferring before the transfer. There's now shakedowns where Kids are going in and they're saying, you know, whether they're being prompted by their parents or handlers or whatever, they know what kind of money's flowing. And they said, I'd love to stay, but I need another couple hundred thousand dollars to, to, to uh, give you my services. And, uh, it's, it's created a, an underworld that was, that already really existed, but now it's just being like all the other stuff is being put right in front of people's, people's faces. Now, those that weren't in the know are appalled by it. Uh, someone like myself who kind of was in and around the industry for a long time and now we're, we're in a different realm. I, I don't adhere to that stuff. I don't support it, but the NCA now made it legal. It was going on before. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's the rules now it's the law. So these kids are going in, they know what their rights are. And, uh, I said, Lou, Lou Holtz had a, a nice uh, quote the other day and I'm going to ruin, I'm going to mess it up, but it was something about chronicling the, the kids of our generation as opposed to the kids now. Uh, we knew what our obligations were, knew what we were supposed to do, where kids now know what their rights and what they deserve, so, something to that effect. Right. Uh, my God, I can't even, I, from six different coaches, unprompted, um, starting with a conversation, you're not going to believe what just happened. I said, what happened? Like a dozen kids come in and transfer? He goes, worse. It's shakedown time. I'm like, what do you mean shakedown? And then I was like, Oop. I said, I said, this, and honestly, this stuff didn't happen before. And like, yeah. I said, well, now it's out on social media. Um, I've seen articles on it today where it's, it's, it's common knowledge. So that's what our college world has become. So um, with what we've done with one-on-one, we're trying to add some normalcy to it, trying to keep families away from the dirty stuff, trying to keep it about as, as you like to do with your, your business. We want to make the parent the first educator. You got to know your stuff. And my whole goal where I'm the happiest is when they get to a certain time and they look at me and say, I got this. I got it. When I've made myself somewhat obsolete in the process and I can move on to the next phase of it, that's golden for me. That's a win. So um, anti-business model, the, I'm hoping in four years from now, I'm not needed anymore with this and, and everything's fine, but I don't know if that'll be the case. Well, and the other thing you have is parents spending a fortune on these club sports when they're not getting that return. If, if that's why you're doing it, and I've known parents who have done it, they're not getting their return on that investment because they're never going to get that back in tuition reimbursement for the most part. No. And, and no, unless, no. Tell, well, the only way is if, you have, if you're a straight-A student and you're going into that situation, you're going to get looked at. And I don't, you could be, maybe the top 20 kids in the country that play lacrosse grades are probably not as important. But I have to tell you, if you're a, a B, low B average, and you're trying to get into a, a better school to play lacrosse, 
you're you're not going to get there because people. What one of the things people don't take into account is these colleges put a lot of pressure on the athletic teams to perform in the classroom, and not only doesn't the school want that, they the the coach of the team doesn't want a kid on the roster that he's going to have to worry about when grades come due. And I've, I see it to this day. I've seen it as a coach in college. I've seen it knowing other situations about coaches I know in college, and they complain about kids that get to school, and all of a sudden they forget that they're there to go to school still. And that is something that you're never going to avoid. So if, if you have a, a kid or if you're a kid yourself and you're thinking you're going to go, you better you better have a high B to, to, to A average if you think you're going to get a shot. And it, it, it's the truth. I don't know about football, but I'm not worried about football. I'm worried about the, the kids that are going to be in the in the sports that we're going to deal with. And 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 Dave, I'm sure you've seen it in basketball. If you're a liability in the classroom, you're you're going to have a much harder time getting a spot. Oh, unless you're, you know, it's uh, when distraction outweighs productivity. That 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 phrase. But I, I remind kids, you're getting now from basketball talk basketball, but baseball is similar. We help kids get as much baseball money as they can. But as you mentioned, the better the student, the more money I can work the school to give them, and the, the other things they contribute to their community. It, it all has a dollar value, and these kids got to realize that. But when coaches bring you on board. I can speak from, you know, being in that, that head chair as a head division one basketball coach, my livelihood depended on the stability of 20 year olds and saying that out loud scares the hell out of me right now, because, um, you know, that that's frightening, especially in today's world, but we don't want to babysit kids. We don't want to pay them a million dollars to come to school, basically with scholarships worth. Now they're given NIL money, um, to babysit a kid on, you know, how to practice, uh, how to go to class, how to behave socially. Those are things right now, if you don't believe it as parents, they will eliminate you from opportunities. Now, there is the exception to the rule, that kid that the coach will bend the rules for because they're the they're not helping that kid out at all. They're setting that kid up to be a, a drain on society later on in life. Um, all of your children, to the listening audience, your children are the rule. So be great in the classroom. Sit up front. Dress appropriately. I, I say this not jokingly. Shower. <laughs> be an yeah. active participant in the class every day. Make that teacher's life, that professor's life, the easiest day they had because as an athlete, every other student will follow your lead. If you're a jackass in the back of the class with your hood up and your ear pods in, eventually everybody's going to follow suit. And I had a rule, Sal, with my kids. If you miss class, and I defined miss class, and I said this on the home visits, if your kid misses a class, which means they have to be 15 minutes early, I want them dressed in non-basketball gear, regular people's clothes, I want them upfront and I want them active. And if any one of those things does not happen, they're considered absent that day in class. And one parent asked me, don't you think that's unfair? I said, I'll tell you what, you want to pay for his education? You can make some of the rules, but I'm paying for it. So he's going to go to class. And if they missed a class, I sat them. Uh, they missed a game, a whole game. And if they did it more than once, they found a new place to play. And never had to kick a kid off because that scared the hell. My, the very first time, and I, I wanted to almost have a do-over, believe it or not, I'll admit that out loud. The very first time I had to enforce that, I was playing back-to-back -back games, UAB and Auburn, both on TV. My very first year as a head coach, my two best players scrambling late for class. Wow. Well, 10 minutes. Professor had no problem calling me. 
because my my policy as a young I was 28 in the papers. I was I was boisterous. I had vim, vigor, whatever that stuff is. I had it all. So they had they they loved calling me on it. And I sat with my AD and I called both their parents. I said, listen, they violated a rule. Um, we all agreed on it before they came here. I'm sitting in both TV games. They got to sit. And uh, now, not that this made this the right decision, but it certainly hammered home. We won both games. We beat a team that was coming off a Sweet 16 bid and then an, and an SEC team who was getting ready to go to LSU, beat them both without those two kids. Showed those two kids, we don't need you to do it the right way. And they weren't bad kids. They just, you know, made a mistake, never did it again. And every other player in the team said, ooh, he's serious. He don't care who you are. Right. And, uh, and then winning it just hammered it home even more, saying, do, if, if you do things my way, we win. Now, that was a program that only averaged five wins a season prior to me taking over. So all that stuff, I look back on it now, and I'm like, oh, boy, maybe I would have had a do-over. I don't know. But it did, it did, it did set the, the tone very, very early uh, with the kids in that regard. So that's, that's my message, parents. Get, get, get the class, for God's sakes. How hard is that? Um, you know, you're being paid to do it do it but anyway kept you for an hour today how do you want to leave the audience today uh look on my neck try to uh check me out there and let's see if you have any uh, issues i can help you with uh, the other thing is you have to start looking into uh, again these issues with how diet and your what you're and by diet i mean how you're able to eat how that is becoming infringed on and and dave what i did find out is that new jersey in new jersey it's illegal to have uh, um, uh, raw milk, I can't, it's ill. It's illegal in New Jersey. So wow. right there, I'm, you know, we're being kept from having something that is 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 overtly healthy. And again, the choice has been removed because it's now illegal. So that's going to continue. So people, find out if you could get some raw milk by you. Find out again what the other infringements upon your uh, your ability to eat what you want are and, and that and that'll maybe change your perspective about what's going on and maybe you'll get interested in some issues that you might not have been otherwise yeah no it's that's great we we have it down here but i uh that's shaking my head now the audience can't see me because we're audio that it's illegal they made milk illegal but uh no, with that audience, uh sal another great show today make sure you uh, coffee's on sal this month and, and next month too Sal M, all capitals, number 20 after, gets you 20% off checkout. Make sure you're following Sal's post on social media. You can put it up on Instagram, Sal, so people can click directly on your link. And I'll do it as, as well in the show notes. Audience, 60,000, almost there. We'll get there before Christmas. Last year, we were about 3,000 at this time, Sal, so we've grown in a hurry. You guys know what to do. Five stars, write some comments. Um, you guys do it every week. However you however you social media, you, you take care of us on there as well. And then um, to Ted Kubiak's uh, book, Old School, How to Field a Ground Ball, great stocking stuffers. They're on my shelf, should be on every baseball player's shelf. And he will certainly listen to your show, Sal. It's one of his favorites, so he always comments on it. So with that, Sal, have a great week. Uh, and then we will announce our official launching of this uh, this, cons- this partnership with one-on-one and, and with, with lacrosse and with you kind of leading the la- lacrosse way. So we'll announce that soon. Very exciting. All right. Well, with uh, – Old Dean Martin here to kick us, to send us off. Episode 381 in the books. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow's glistening. A beautiful sight, all we're happy tonight. 
walking in a winter wonderland.